0: can't live the Christian life on your own. The bad, the bad news is the Christian life's not hard, it's impossible. The good news is our Lord is going to show us how to live the Christian life this morning. He's going to give us the key, the secret to living the Christian life effectively, fruitfully and even joyfully in our text this morning. We're in John chapter 15. So I hope you have your Bible and I hope you'll join me there. In John chapter 15, as we look at the true vine. Now, if you'll remember, we are in the what's called the farewell discourse. We're in the upper room with the Lord Jesus. We are hours away from his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And Jesus is spending some quality, quiet, private time with his disciples, teaching them, encouraging them, comforting them, and preparing them for life and ministry without him, preparing them for his departure, not only his death, but his ascension, and preparing them for life and ministry without him being physically present. Now, there's a flow to these chapters, this whole discourse from 13 through 16. There's a flow here that we kind of lose when we chop it up into these sermonic bits. But back in chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet and he says, I want you guys to do this for each other. And it's not so much... a about foot washing as it is about loving humble loving humble ministry and service to one another and then and, and then he uh, predicts Judas's uh, betrayal and Peter's denial and he gives them a commandment, says, Guys, I want you to love each other. You love one another. And by this, shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. You got to love each other. And then in chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there ye may be also. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then he tells his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send another comforter to you, another helper, a paraclete, one like me. And he will be in you. He'll be with you forever. And he will be in you. Talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. That's where we were last Sunday. And that leads us into chapter 15. and We're just dealing with the first 12 verses this morning. John 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Well, we have here the last of those I am statements that are characteristic of the gospel of John. These I am statements of the Lord that just speak to his Deity, He is the Son of God. Uh, We saw back in chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. And then in chapter 10, He said, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. And then in chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then in chapter 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And now He says, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine, and you are the branches. Now, vine imagery. Vine symbolism, vine language was very common in, the, in, in that ancient culture, in, the, in Bible lands and Bible times, because vines were a part of everyday life. Everybody saw vines. Everybody, everybody knew what we, you were talking about. So this kind of imagery, this language is everywhere. We see it in the Old Testament. And several times in the Old Testament, Israel is called a vine or compared to a vine. But now this one's different. Here Jesus is the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the farmer. He's the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine, and we, his followers, are the branches. And so Jesus, that makes Jesus the source of life and fruitfulness. Now, let's take a look at this this metaphor, if you will. Uh, It's less than a parable, but more than a simile. (laughs) So it's really an extended metaphor, an illustration Of the Christian life that Jesus is is communicating. Here's here's what the Christian life really looks like for you and for me. First of all, let's start with the desire of the Father. We'll start there. The desire of the Father. The goal of any farmer is that his crops would produce a lot of fruit. I mean, a, a good harvest and a good quality harvest. I mean, that's the goal. That's why you go out and you do farming. And the goal of any vine dresser is that his vines would produce much fruit and a high quality fruit. Here the vine dresser is the father and the implication is that our father in heaven wants us to bear much fruit. I mean that's kind of the the unstated assumption. That's the desire of the father. He wants you and me to bear much fruit. As much fruit as possible and as good a fruit as possible. That is his desire. The function of branches is to produce fruit. That's what branches do. So the function of the branch is to produce fruit. We are the branches. Our function is to produce fruit to the glory of God. We're here to glorify God. That's our ultimate function, right? You remember we talked about the shorter Westminster Catechism before and that that beautiful statement, the chief end of man, that is to say the the purpose of man, the, the meaning of life while we're here, the Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So there you go. That's why you're here. That's why you're alive. That's why God created you. That's, that's the meaning of life. We are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And in, the, in light of our text this morning, we're here to bear fruit <laughs> to the glory of God. And by the way, you can enjoy him as you do it. Uh, that's the joy. We'll get to that here in a moment. So there's the desire of the Father. Now let's talk about the fruit of the vine. We're supposed to bear fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? What are we talking about? What kind of fruit do Christians bear? Well, there are several things in the New Testament that Christians are supposed to be and do that the New Testament writers call fruit. They use that language. So let me give you just a sampling. It's not an exhaustive list, but let me give you a sampling of this. One would be the fruit of the Spirit. You know that passage, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Christian character, Christian attitudes, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's some of the fruit that's supposed to be coming out in our lives. So there's the fruit of the Spirit. And then we also have converts. Converts, as you share the gospel with others, leading them to faith in Jesus Christ as people get saved As you influence people to the cross, you are bearing fruit. That's that's the language of Romans 1. That's the harvest that we saw in John chapter 4. So converts, leading people to faith in Christ. That's bearing fruit. Here's another kind of fruit that we bear. Giving. Actually, financial giving. In Romans 15, there are some folks who gave money to an offering to help the Jerusalem saints who were going through a famine. And Paul calls their monetary gift fruit and then there is good good works and righteous behavior good works and righteous behavior in Matthew chapter 3 John the Baptist preached bear fruit in keeping with repentance you need to repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance in other words you repent and live like it (laughs) you repent turn from sin turn to God turn to righteousness and now you start living like somebody who's turned from sin and turned to righteousness You bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You repent and act like it. Or in Colossians 1, Paul's desire is that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of the gospel, please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. So there's good works or righteous behavior. Now you put all that together and bearing fruit simply means Christian character and Christian behavior. Christ-like attitudes, Christ-like Actions. That's bearing fruit. Now, notice that there are two actions that the Father takes in order to maximize that fruit production. Notice in verse 2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So, notice two actions of the Father to maximize fruit production. One, he takes away, he removes fruitless branches. And he prunes fruitful branches. The branches that are actually producing fruit, he will prune them down. Now, there's a wordplay in the Greek that gets lost in translation. We just we don't hear it at all in English. But the word for takes away and the word for prunes are very, very similar. They sound very much alike. And then the word for clean in the very next verse, you are already clean, that sounds alike too. So there's a wordplay that gets lost in translation. But the point is this. In, in viticulture, vine growing, in viticulture, this is everyday life. Anybody who knows anything about growing grapes or any other kind of vine growing knows that you have to prune the vines. You pull out the dead branches, and there are certain times of the year you trim the vine, you cut it back. You you might cut everything but just the stump at some times, and, and then as the vines begin to grow, you, you begin to prune it some more, even though when it's growing, and even when it's producing fruit, you might prune it even more or even whittle down some of the clusters so that they make even better grapes or whatever the fruit might be. So this is, this is viticulture 101. Everybody knows this stuff, but Jesus isn't teaching viticulture 101. If you want to grow grapes, here's how you do it. He's talking about the Christian life. Here's how the Christian life will work. Here's Again, it's an illustration, an extended metaphor of bearing fruit. As, as followers of Christ, to the glory of God. It's an illustration of the Christian life. Now, there, is, there are two interpretive approaches to this passage that I think are, are mistaken, and they're common. You see them a lot, you hear them a lot, but I think they're wrong. One approach is to take this passage as applying uh, to salvation, that this is about salvation. And If it's about salvation, then you hit a snag in verse 6. Where he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If he's talking about Christians there, ouch, that doesn't sound good. If you believe, and here's, here's where you bring your presuppositions and doctrinal stuff to another passage, and it gets you in trouble, and try to impose it on a text. If you believe that Christians can lose their salvation, oh, well, there's oh there's verse 6 for you. And that's what—that's how you'll interpret that. We well, see that's an apostate Christian. That's somebody who was saved, but now they're not saved anymore. They did something. Now they're not saved anymore, and they're a dead branch, and they're a fruitless branch, and they're going to get cast into the fire at the end of time. Okay, if, if that's what you believe, okay, that's how you take that approach. If, however, the problem with that is it doesn't fit what we heard in John chapter six, doesn't fit what we heard in John chapter ten. Hmm. Okay, if you don't believe that Christians lose their salvation another sermon for another time. That's what I believe. If you believe that Christians don't lose their salvation, then how do you understand this verse? Well, if we're talking about salvation, I guess it would be false professors. Someone who calls himself a Christian who's not really a Christian. You know, sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares grow together for a while, and at judgment, they'll be separated. So there are some folks who say they're saved when they're not saved. They think they're saved when they're not saved, they're not saved at all. And, and Judas would be an example of this. Handy example, just a couple chapters ago. Judas, he's one of the 12, but he was never in Christ. So, false professor. But again, I, I think we're bringing stuff to the text that's not, it's not there already. Or to take this as referring to sanctification in verse 2. Every Oh, by the way, there's another idea um, that verse 6 refers to fruitless Christians, not at the final judgment, judgment but the judgment seat of Christ. That at the judgment seat of Christ, Paul tells us that every believer is going to be judged by the Lord Jesus for what he's done in the body, whether it be good or bad. Not to see whether or not you're going to heaven. If you're in Christ, you're already going to heaven. That's, that's done. But here's to determine rewards in heaven. And for the Christian, again, a born-again child of God who has lived for himself, not served the Lord, not lived for the Lord, he will be judged and he's saved. But Paul says, yet so is by fire. He shall suffer loss at that judgment. Again, that's another sermon for another day. Bible for that. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. In verse 2, he says that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Very common interpretation is to take that to refer to sanctification. And we know that God, God is in the process of sanctifying his children. We've talked about that. We've seen that in the Gospel of John. God is always conforming us to the image of His Son. He is maturing us in Christ. And God uses everything in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all things work together for good to them that love Him. To what end? That we be conformed to the image of His Son. And so God takes all the things in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, including trials and hardships and sufferings, sometimes His own good discipline, pain that He inflicts to prune us, to make us more like Jesus. And the more we're like Jesus, the more fruit we produce and the better fruit we produce. So there's a lot of Bible for that as well. But I don't believe that's what this text is about. This text is not about salvation or sanctification or eternal security or suffering or evangelism. These verses are about abiding in Christ. That's what it's about. That's the thrust of the passage. Abiding in Christ. This is the requirement for bearing fruit. It is the requirement for a fruitful, effective, and joyful Christian life. Abiding in Christ. That's the key word, abide. John loves that word abide. He uses it like 27 times just in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And you know, that's, that's, that's not much territory. <laughs> in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 27 times. In the Gospel of John, he uses this word 40 times. And a fourth of those are in this text. Eleven times just in chapter 15. The word abide means, in general, it just means to remain in a place for a period of time. To remain in place for a period of time. To remain in a condition or an activity for, for, for a duration. To, to, to remain in a fixed state. So that's what the word abide means. And here in our text, it would mean to be to stay. In close fellowship with Christ. That's what he's talking about. To stay in close fellowship with Christ. To stay in close communion with Christ. That's what this passage is about. Stay in close communion with the Lord. Now, notice the necessity of abiding. Notice the necessity of it. The thrust of this passage is that Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. So he is the source of life and fruitfulness. He is the source of life and fruitfulness. I mean, this is this is basic, right? We don't, you know, you remember when you're studying parables, don't take the par, don't take all the details of the parables and go hog wild and you don't have to find something, every hidden meaning in every detail of a parable. No, there's usually a, a main point to the parable. Don't get lost in the weeds. Same thing with this. Again, it's not a parable. It's an extended metaphor, but we don't need to push the details way too far. The, the simple detail here is that he's the vine, we are the branches. And <laughs> Viticulture 101 is a branch that's not hooked into the vine, is a dead branch. What do you do with dead branches? You pick them up and burn them. They're not good for anything. I mean, you, have, you, you can't have life without being in the vine. Why? Well, that's, that's what we see about Jesus all through John. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me shall have eternal life. There is no life apart from the Son. And without Jesus Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sins. So you can't have eternal life without being in the vine. He's the source of life itself, eternal life, divine life. But then he's also the source of fruitfulness for the Christian. A branch... I mean, this is basic stuff. I mean, this is easy, right? I mean, this is is low level. The illustration says, if you're not hooked into the vine, you're not going to produce fruit. (laughs) That's that's the whole point. You have to be in the vine for life, to be a living branch, and you have to be in the vine to be a fruitful branch. He is the source of life and fruitfulness. Now, notice the necessity of it. In verse 4, he says, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without abiding in Christ, there is no effective Christian service. There is no joyful, fruitful Christian life. You have to abide in the vine for that to happen. Apart from me, without abiding in me, you can do nothing. Now, let's be honest. You could fake it for a while. You could pretend You can put on a show. You can convince other people who don't know you well enough (laughs) that, hey, you're all that and more, and you are living the Christian life, and look at you go. But you know it's not real. You know there's no joy in it. You know it doesn't count for much. And, and, and Jesus says, there's nothing in it that lasts. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the necessity of abiding. You can fake it for a while, but there's no lasting significance to the fruit. Robert Muntz said this, All spiritual power for living out the Christian life comes from God. There's only one way for a believer to receive this power— Namely, to remain in unbroken fellowship with the source of power. Or as Paul would put it in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the Christian life. That's the secret. That's abiding in Christ. It's really no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. That brings us to the essence of abiding. We're talking a lot about abiding now. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Christ and I in you? We're speaking of communion and dependence. That's the essence. Communion and dependence. A conscious, deliberate communion with the Lord. A conscious, deliberate fellowship with the Lord. Remember to remain in a fixed condition. To stay somewhere. I'm going to stay in that fellowship with the Lord. And dependence, communion and dependence. There's a conscious, deliberate, intentional communion with the Lord and a very conscious dependence upon the Lord. Here's what that sounds like. I need Jesus. I know I need Jesus. (laughs) I know I desperately need Jesus for everything and every day. And so I deliberately, desperately cling to Jesus. I cling to him. And that knowing, deliberate, conscious, intentional fellowship, I cling to Jesus. I need to get right and stay right. I better get close and stay close. I want to stay close to the Lord. I'm going to stay in that desperate, dependent communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's abiding. That's abiding in him. The Christian life is not about doing or performing or producing. Aren't you glad? The Christian life is about knowing. It's about knowing the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's John 17, 3. The Christian life is to know him in a vital relationship that shapes and defines your entire life. It is to know him. It is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then that means you obey him. That's the Christian life. Aren't you glad? Have you ever have you ever gone to get some kind of a license or a certificate or a diploma or something like that? And they give you requirements. Here's all the requirements. You want this certification? You want this license? You want to have this, this thing? All right, here's here's the steps. You gotta do this, and you gotta perform that, and you gotta know this, and you gotta punch. I mean, here's a punch list, all these things you have to do, 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 do. That's not the Christian life. I'm so glad he doesn't call us to a life of performing and doing and marking off the list. No. He calls us to know him. To know him and love him. To abide in him. And look what happens. That's what we're talking about. Tom Constable said this. Jesus described his relationship with believers as more or less intimate, depending on their love and obedience to Him. He did not present abiding and not abiding as black and white categories, as either being completely in or completely out of fellowship. Rather, He presented our relationship to Him much more realistically, naming, namely as having a more or less intimate relationship. Abiding in Christ means I want to get as close as I can and stay as close as I can to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to abide in Christ, stay close. Well, what happens when we abide in Christ? Notice the results. Just in our text this morning, some of the results of abiding in Christ. One is answered prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wow, that's powerful stuff. That's kind of like a blank check, isn't it? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To abide in him... To know him, love him, stay close to him, stay right with him. His words abide in you. That is his words, his message, his gospel, the word of God. His word abides in you. It permeates your life. It fills in all the nooks and crannies. It defines your life. So as you stay close to the Lord Jesus, and as his word fills your life, as as his word abides in you, you ask for what you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, guess what you're going to wish for? It's not stuff for you. When you abide in him and his word abides in you, you'll be asking for stuff in his name. We saw that before. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. Whoa, what does that mean? You ask in accordance with his will, his nature, his character, his purpose. You're on the same page with him. You can pray in his authority because he abides in you and you abide in him and his word abides in you. You're on the same page. Answered prayer. Prayers get answered. Here's another one. Much fruit. You're going to bear much fruit. Verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. All that fruit we talked about before, Christian character, Christian behavior, good works, righteous behavior, giving, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, soul winning, all that fruit is going to come out in your life. You don't have to force it. You, you, You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to fake it till you make it. God produces that in you. Again, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's God bearing His life out in your life. You bear fruit because you abide in Him. And He bears the fruit through you. Branches bear fruit. that's what we do. And as you do, God is glorified. You'll bear much fruit and God gets the glory. Again, that's why we're here. And then there's loving obedience. Look in verse 8 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me... I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So you abide in his love for you, and then you love him back. Well, how do you abide in his love? Well, he tells us in the next verse, you keep his commandments. And we saw last Sunday that love and obedience that go hand in hand, two sides of the same coin. You really can't have one without the other. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We heard that. If you love me, keep my commandments. In chapter 14 and verse 21, he said, uh, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And We saw last week, you, you don't love him and then he loves you back because you loved him. No, it's just the opposite. He already loves us. We love him back <laughs> and he, because he first loved us. We love him back, and as you love him, you will know his love for you. He already loves you, period. We saw that last Sunday. He already loves you, but as you love him in return, as you love him, you obey him, then you will know his love. You will experience his love. His love fills your life, and you obey him, and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 3, 24 says, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. That's what we're talking about, abiding in Christ. You keep his commandments. It's part of abiding in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 5.3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. We obey him because we love him. And we know we love him when we obey him. They just go hand in hand. Edward Klink said this, Remaining in the love of God is not some mystical experience. It is an active response of obedience. So we're not talking about this weird, esoteric, fuzzy-wuzzy stuff. It's not the mysticism. It's just you love him, so you obey him. You obey him because you love him. That leads us to the next one, abiding joy. Abiding joy, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Obedience and joy go hand in hand. They're, they just go together. Again, His commandments are not burdensome. When you love Him, you want to obey Him. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So obeying Him is not drudgery. Ministry is not, well, oh, gosh, I, I guess I got to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I guess I'll do it. But well, when you have that attitude, there's no joy There's no joy. Well, I guess we'll do this. When you obey him, keep his commandments. Well, it's what a good Christian ought to do. I'd rather not, but I guess I better. No joy. That's not abiding. That's not love. That's forcing it. That's faking it. No. As you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as you abide in Christ, you you want to obey him. And when you want to obey him, his commandments are not burdensome. And there's actually joy. There's a joy in obeying. There's joy in ministry. There's joy because you're fulfilling everything God created you to be and what he saved you to do. I mean, it's joy. As Peter would say, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Here's another one. Brotherly love, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And we'll talk more about this later on. But there's that love again. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Love. It's part of abiding in Him. As you abide in Him, His love's going to abide in you and it spills over. (laughs) And you love love the saints. Warren Wiersbe summed all this up this way. He said, Abiding is keeping in fellowship with Christ so that His life can work in and through us to produce fruit. This certainly involves the Word of God and confession of sin so that nothing hinders our communion with Him. It also involves obeying, uh, obeying Him because we love Him. This abiding relationship is natural to the branch and to the vine. But it must be cultivated in the Christian life. It's not automatic. Abiding in Christ demands worship and meditation on God's word, prayer, sacrifice, and service. But what a joyful experience it is. Once you have begun to cultivate this deeper communion with Christ, you have no desire to return to the shallow life of the careless Christian. You ever feel frustrated, like a failure, don't measure up? Nothing's happening. There's no joy. Eh. Well, it's because you're doing it. The secret, the key, abide in Christ. Again, it's it's not about doing and performing and producing. It's about being and knowing and loving and communing with him. It's about that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, to abide in him in a conscious, deliberate knowingly dependent relationship i need jesus like life depends on it because guess what life depends on it i need him every day for everything and so i'm going to get close and stay close to the lord jesus christ that's abiding in him now remember jesus is preparing his disciples for ministry without him without his physical presence and he says guys you, you believe god believe me trust god trust me I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. He'll be with you forever. Stay close. Stay faithful. And you'll be fruitful. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for the Christian life as you have designed it. God, thank you for not calling us and saving us to a punch list of performance, to a bunch of things that we're supposed to do and tick off the list and make sure we do this and do the do's and don't do the don'ts. God, thank you that you saved us for so much more to a relationship with a living God, to a, vib- a vibrant, dynamic, personal relationship that shapes and defines our lives, that you are the vine and we are the branches. And God, I pray that we would indeed bear much fruit and that the Father would be glorified. Seal this message to our hearts. I pray for the one who's never been saved Help them to see and hear and know they need Jesus Christ and bring them to the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.